Always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas today with episode 446. It is Tuesday, June 2nd, 2010, and today we are going to talk about the shotgun. We're going to talk about the shotgun from the home defense role to upland game use. And I'm actually going to talk about more about sporting than home defense, but by the time I'm done, you're going to really have a better understanding, I think, of the shotgun than maybe you ever have before, unless you already have an in-depth understanding of the shotgun. We're going to talk about things today that I think a lot of people don't really understand, or maybe they understand at a superficial level, not a deeper level, about what they really mean and what the realities behind them are. We're going to go through the shot show. We're going to talk about the shot size, the, the, the charge itself, why it's denominated in drams of black powder, uh, shot weight, what exactly that means, uh, shot types, uh, lead, steel, tungsten. We're going to talk about buckshot, reality versus myth. We're going to talk about the magnums. We're going to talk about the cost of going with heavier loads uh, in more than dollars. We're going to talk about um, the common gauges, as I call them, the 10, the 12, the 16, the 20, and the 410. I'll probably say a word or two about the 28 because I just think it's cool while we're doing that. We're going to talk about actions, the single shot, the double, both side-by-side, side, under and over, the pump, the semi-auto, the bolt. We're going to talk about chokes, barrel length, stock length, sporting clays, home defense applications, combat applications, and the beauty of the shotgun overall. So it should be a great show. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one, Safe Castle Royal. If you're looking for that place that has all the stuff that you need for your prepping needs, check out Safe Castle. If you're looking for that place that when you look for something, if you can't find it or you're not sure what, what to buy and you contact the uh, the site owner, they're going to help you and go out of their way to make sure you get exactly what you're looking for, check out Safe Castle. If you want a company that cares so much about its customers that it's employed an independent board of advisors, which I'm proud to serve on, to re- make recommendations for products to go in or come out of its lineup, Check out Safe Castle Royal. I can't really say more than that. They are an outstanding company run by an outstanding gentleman. Next up today, MERSradio.com. That's usually MERS-radio.com. What I love about MERS is the integration of security and communications. So not only with our MERS radios in the house do we have a secondary line of communications if we lose phones and cell phones and things like that. They give us about a two-mile range of additional communication. We have a security system that's integrated into our base station so that we know when anybody's in our backyard, our front yard, or in various other areas of our property. It's cool here. When we finally move permanently to the bug-out location in Arkansas, we have five acres to look after. It'll even be more cool. I also think they could have game applications. I'm going to test that out on some game trails and see what uh, what that tells me. I worry a little bit about the noise of the thing going off. But with an earpiece and turned down very low, I think maybe it could be used as a trail alert system. Uh, definitely could be used in that in tactical situation. So check out MERS Radio. If you have any questions about it, get in touch with uh, with the owner there, man. He will take care of you as well. Remember, best way to find all of our sponsors, go to 
thesurvivalpodcast.com and look for their banners in the right-hand margin. And remember, they are all personal endorsements by me and the moderators on the forum. They are not just people that showed up and said, I want to be a sponsor. They had to go through a process to become one. Uh, next up, check out our gear shop. We have really cool stuff. Uh, the special on pre-order for the mugs is over. Those of you who ordered them know that we were going to do a silver mug with a black label, and now we're doing a black mug with a silver label. Not our fault, folks. Uh, we got more orders than we anticipated, and the supplier said, I can do the silver and black instead of the black and silver, but it'll be July before I get the mugs to you. And we're like, that's not good enough. We promised people. So uh, we looked at the black and silver. That We actually think it looks better, so check out the mugs. Check out the challenge points. They're also at pre-order right now because we're, we've sold out of them. Check out the hats, the shirts, the patches. We've got good stuff for you guys there. Check out our gear shop. Uh, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. Um, 20 members or 20 members only videos. You'll get uh, about $100 worth of free ebooks. You get discounts. From, it's got to be uh, over 20 vendors now that we have discounts for, so check that out. Uh, we just added one yesterday that I'm really excited about, and it's kind of a little mini-announcement here I want to tell you about. Uh, there's a new uh, group out there called the End the Fed Coin Project, uh, and they're all about ending the Federal Reserve and educating people as to what real honest money is, and they have this great coin, the End the Fed Coin. I'll put a link to their site in today's show notes. If you are in the member support brigade, you get 7% all, off all purchases of their silver coins. Putting that in perspective, a 10-pack of their coins, so 10 ounces of silver uh, from them for this coin will sell for 320 bucks or something like that, 310 bucks. The discount came out to $22.40. That's half the cost of being a member of the MSB. Right there, just buying silver and getting a discount on your silver. I looked long and hard for the Members Brigade to find a place to get you a discount on metal. It is not easy. People that sell metal sell it on very thin margin to begin with. Um, we had to look at a premium coin, something that was symbolic and had a little bit of a premium on it. These coins are beautiful. Check them out. And even if you're not in the MSB, I recommend you consider adding just at least a few of them to your uh, coin collection. And if you are a member of the Members Brigade, again, you get the 7% discount. All right, with that, let's go on and get into the, uh, the main topic of today's show, which is the shotgun. I actually woke up this morning and said, what am I going to do today? You know, I've done 446 shows now, so some days I wake up, and I didn't really figure out what I was going to do yesterday. And I spent all day yesterday doing videos. Um, I did like four different videos. I got one set of them uploaded to uh, YouTube. I recommend you check that out. It'll fit sort of nicely with today's show, but it was on rifle shooting form. Uh, so I've got that set up, and I've got a playlist created. I'll put a link to from the show notes that talks about the rifle form, two videos I had to do yesterday. Basically, it was one video that didn't fit into ten minutes for YouTube, so I had to break it in half. And an older video I did on the oscillation of a rifle barrel. So I put that together. And um, I also did one on uh, preserving uh, zucchini from harvest, which I got half done because it's in the dehydrator right now. And I did another video for you guys on my sort of half failure, half success with uh, growing a certain variety of heirloom corn and explaining what I'm going to be doing with the next batch of corn that's coming in to prevent the same failure. That hasn't been edited yet. I'll, I'll probably get to editing that one today. But check out the YouTube channel. Check out the links. But since I did all this work yesterday with the rifle, I got up today and said, maybe it's time we talk about the shotgun, because there's a lot of questions that come in about shotguns, and there's a lot of similarities between the two. Anyway, and I can point people to the video and say that form is pretty much the same for a shotgun as it is for a rifle. So there's your form video. Now let's talk about the shotgun itself. If we're going to talk about the shotgun, though, 
we have to start at the place that I think most people just gloss over, because it is where the versatility of the shotgun comes from, and that is the shot shell itself. Let's real briefly talk about the components. What makes up a shot shell? A shot shell, if anybody's ever looked at a shotgun shell, you know what the outside looks like. It's basically a tube, and it's got a rim on the back side, so that when you put it into a chamber, that rim hangs against the chamber wall so that it doesn't go down the bore, and that it can sit there and be struck by the firing pin in the primer so it can ignite. So you've got a rimmed cup at the, at the one end, and you've got a uh, crimped end at the other end that holds everything inside. That's pretty self-explanatory, and sometimes we call shot shells high brass or low brass based on, you know, how much brass is there on the side of the shell. And that's not really as big a deal as I think some people make it out to be. Generally, it just simply means that there's more powder, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, But when we look at that shell, we, we really need to think about what's inside of there, and if you were to uncrimp the end of that shell, and as long as it was birdshot, you know, something from anything from ducks to doves, what you'd see is a whole bunch of little BBs in there, just tons of them, like a pile, like it'd make a mess if you dumped it on your table, they would go everywhere, bouncing all over the place. Behind those BBs is something called a wadding, and this is a piece of plastic, and what it does is it helps hold the shot together until it exits the uh, barrel, and it also buffers between the shot and the charge. And because there's a variance in how much shot you use and how much powder you use, and you could be loading the exact same shot shell, right? so we have a 2 and 3 quarter inch 12 gauge shell, one load has, uh, let's say, one load has 2.5 grams of uh, equivalent black powder, we'll get to what that means in a second, and an ounce of shot, it's what we call a light load, a, a practice load, something you're going to do a lot of shooting and you just don't want to be beaten up by it. Uh, and then we have one that's, uh, let's say, got three and a half grams equivalent of powder in it, and an ounce and a quarter of shot. We call that a heavy load. But they're both shoved into a two and three quarter inch shell. Obviously, one has more powder and one and more shot, and the other one has less powder and less shot. What makes up the space differential in there is that wadding. That's how important that wadding is, and that's why when you load shot shells, you have to have a wad that's specific to the load so that everything fits at the right dimension, so you don't pick up the shot shell and pick it up with a light load, and it rattles like a baby's rattle. That wouldn't be a very uh, effective way to load uh, shot shells. So that's how important that wad is. It's not just about holding that shot together. It's about taking up space in the shell, and that's why if you find them on the ground and look at them, you'll see that there's some empty space in between the cup that goes over the uh, shot and the other cup that maybe seals back in the powder. And then, of course, we have the powder and the primer. And the powder is what gives it charge, and the primer is what ignites the powder. So that's breaking down the shell to what it is. The big, you know, the big boom comes from the charge. Well, what is this stuff about drams? Black powder is measured in drams. So if I was doing old muzzle loading, I might have a dram of black powder or two drams of black powder. Give you some actual real world numbers, for instance. Say, uh, a 16 gauge standard load is generally, uh, Two and three quarter drams and one ounce of shot. A standard skeet load for a 12 gauge, three drams of powder and an ounce and an eighth of standard skeet, uh, or uh, an ounce and an eighth of shot. So an ounce and an eighth of shot, when I say that, I'm talking about the weight of the, sh- the BBs, how, how much weight of BBs goes in there. And uh, so w- there's a difference there, obviously, but why do we call this drams? Well, it's not black powder and it's not drams. It's what's known as drams equivalent. 
Uh, because of, you know, the legacy of, of how shot, shot shell shooting came about, it started out as black powder, it's just kind of stuck around. It, it's actually become meaningless, really, is the best way I can put it. It's just the way that we label things uh, going forward. If you, uh, if you load your own shells, you'll find bushings that actually denominate modern smokeless powder in grains. Basically what they're saying is the power inside that 12-gauge uh, standard skeet load is equivalent in power to three drams of black powder. But if we tried to put three drams of black powder into a 12-gauge shell, it would basically create a mini-bomb. that it would, The volume would be so much more powder to get that equivalency in power. So it's just a legacy, but it's an easy way to think about comparing gauges and shot sizes, which is something that's kind of cool that we're going to do in a minute and reveal some things. So that's the charge. It's just simply how much powder's in there. And when we hear the word drams on a box of shot shells, it's about the power, not the actual rate. It is it, weight. It is modern smokeless powder. Uh, it is measured the same way it is for rifles, but the drams equivalent is about a power indicator. So that's the easy way to think about it. You don't really need to know more than that unless you're going to get into reloading. And if you do, when you buy your reloading equipment, you'll buy powder bushings that will take care of measuring the powder for you. Today's show is not on reloading, though. I also want to talk about shot weight. Um, what is shot weight, and how does it tie into shot size? Shot size is how big or small each individual pellet, or BB if you want to call it that is. And there's actually quite a big difference from one to the next. Um, there's no direct correlation to inches. It almost seems like it is because a 9 shot is .08 <clears throat> and an 8 shot is .09 inches. So, you know, you, you'd almost think, well, it would keep going. But a 6 is .11 uh, a five shot is 0.12 inches. A four shot is 0.13 inches. A BB size shot is 0.18 inches, not 0.177 like BBs that you use in your air rifle. A double O buck is 0.33, which would basically make it uh, 33 caliber. And there's some other things like that that go into it. Um, what it really comes down to, though, is when you have smaller BBs, you can fit more into each shell. However, since each BB is lighter, its overall range and killing power decreases. In other words, if a grown man was impacted by one piece of nine shot at 25 yards, it would probably really piss him off and he would be upset and angry about it. But in all but the most freakish of circumstances, it wouldn't propose any mortal uh, injury to him at that range with only one piece of nine shot. Don't recommend you try to figure out how to get one piece of nine shot in somebody to test it, but you get what I'm saying. Unless you're hitting the eye with it, you're probably going to you know, walk away without even caring. You, you, you'd probably have penetration. Uh, move out of 35 yards, I don't think you'd get penetration uh, with a single piece of nine shot through most if you're wearing clothing anyway. Um, if you took one piece of number four buck, which is .24 caliber at 25 yards, you might very well end up dead. You might not. It really depends on where it hits you and how it hits you and what angle it enters and does it hit a bone first and, and all kinds of other things. But it might. The probability is much higher because you have a denser uh, object. So it's going to retain its velocity and energy better over distance, and it's going to do more damage as it penetrates. So the common thought is, well, if, uh, if bigger is better, then when I'm out in the dove field, instead of eight shot, I'll use six. 
There's a cost. There's a cost, though. What are you trying to kill? Is always the question when you're selecting shot shells. Is the first thing to think about. How much killing does it require? And what are your average ranges of doing this killing? Because the smaller and faster the object is, generally the easier it is also to kill. So now we need to take and flip the advantage to uh, the pattern and the pattern density and the pattern dispersal. When you fire a shotgun, at about 10 yards, the pattern is very, very tight. By the time you're out to 20 yards, it's opened up quite a bit. And we'll talk about chokes and their effect on this in just a minute. But just understand, the further out you go, the wider the shotgun pattern gets. But there's another part here that no one ever thinks of. People think of a shot shell pattern coming out and kind of looking like the bees that used to chase Bugs Bunny around. In a tight clump, uh, and maybe expanding, but not only tight uh, in a circle, but tight long ways. The, the, the pattern itself is um, kind of flat in shape. So it's like a balloon. It's not like a balloon. It's like a long string. When you fire that shell, some of those pellets are toward the front and have less resistance, and some of those pellets are toward the rear of the cup, and they actually have more resistance from their own pellets that are in front of them. And as that shot shell comes out and the pattern expands uh, left to right, it also expands on a vertical axis back toward the shooter, so you end up with a long string of shot. So, let's say if you wanted to really see what your shotgun's pattern was when you're shooting at a bird uh, that flies 40 miles an hour, like a dove does easily, the only way to actually see that would be to get a great big long board with a dot on it and put it on a track moving 40 miles an hour. Track it with your shotgun and fire at that dot at a distance of 20 yards, and then fire at a distance of 35 yards. You're going to see a remarkable difference in the pattern. With the board moving, you're not just going to see a wider pattern with less density. You're going to see it spread out over a longer distance. And you're going to see that your lead has to be further in front. Because of that, especially shooting winged game, there is a big advantage in having more pellets for more density of that pattern, because the pattern is not like when you pattern your shotgun for turkey hunting or for shooting a, a, in a defensive situation, a man-sized target with buckshot, a stationary target. It's a moving target. And the shot and the target are moving at the same time. One is moving faster in an intercept mode. And because of that shot dispersal, you want more pellets within reason. So in other words, we're not going to go out and shoot pheasants with nine shot. Because it's just not enough killing powder. It's a big, strong, tough bird. We need to drop back to 7.5 at a minimum. I usually shoot pheasants with 6 shot. But Dovefield, let's take a look at the difference in shooting an ounce of shot with 7.5s for Dove versus number 9s for Dove. An ounce of 7.5 shot, I get 350 pellets. 350 little soldiers trying to kill my one little Dove. With 9 shot, I get 585 per ounce. So if I'm shooting an ounce and an eighth, I've got about, what, 650 pellets. That's a lot more. And since a dove requires very little killing, and one or two pellets of nine in the right spot will bring a dove down, it's a big advantage. Most dove hunters opt for number eight shot. That gives you the big advantage over seven and a half, but not as much as nine, and uh, come up with 410 pellets per ounce. I just want you to understand the basics of that. And I'll, I'll give you some, some uh, numbers here to, to put it in perspective. 9 shot, 585 pellets per ounce. 8 shot, 410. 7 and a half, 350. Watch what happens when we go to number 6. 225. Go to number 5, 170. Number 4, 135. Number 2, 90. BBs, 50. 
Number four buck, 21, and double O buck, eight. This is per ounce, not per shell. Depends on what the load is. Here's what you're noticing, though. The difference between nine and eight is little compared to the difference between, let's say, six and four, right? Or nine and seven and a half, six and four. It drops off more. Why? As the pellets get bigger, the round shape is inherently inefficient for fitting into a cylindrical tube. So the bigger the round shape, the more empty space between the, the uh, pellets there are. That's why we get to number double uh, O buck. We only fit eight per ounce. Uh, and we also have a, a spatial limitation that means that we can't maybe load as heavy a charge into that shot shell. So it's really, uh, I've kind of messed that out there the way I was explaining it. It's really about how much can you fit into a shell of the same length. So it's very hard to fit much more than an ounce of double O buck into a uh, two and three quarter inch shell. And that's why people go to three inch magnums uh, when they uh, when they go to buck in some larger shot shots. It's one of the reasons. Just understand that Again, the pellet itself being round is inefficient in many ways. It's inefficient aerodynamically. It's the most inefficient shape there is that we shoot out of guns. A, a conical shape, a bullet shape, is much more efficient. That's why they lose velocity relatively quickly, which makes them safer for hunting in highly dense situations, and it's inefficient for storage. If you start thinking about how hard it is to fit a bunch of balls into a Rubbermaid tub, if they were square, how much better would the same uh, dimensions fit? How many more could you get in there? Same thing with a shot shell. So when you look at moving the larger shot sizes, you, you fit less into, uh, into the same area. All right. So let's move on from there. Since I butchered it a little bit, hopefully it makes sense. Uh, let's talk about shot types. There's, there's like three what I'll call main shot types out there. There's, there's lead. There's steel, and there's what I'll just lump in all together is tungsten. And there's tungsten, there's bismuth, there's all kinds of like fancy heavy shots out there. What is this all about? Well, it's all about ducks and geese and not putting lots of lead into wetlands. There are areas where they call it a steel shot zone. And I think most places, even though you can use uh, bismuth or tungsten or things like that, they still call it a steel shot only load. What it really means is a no lead zone. Uh, especially for waterfowl hunting. And think about it this way. Thousands and thousands of hunters go out and hunt a, a specific swamp every year. And they shoot at uh, ducks, and they, they kill a certain number of ducks and geese, and they miss a certain number of ducks and geese. But even when they kill, a lot of their shot misses, and patterns off to the side, and all those lead pellets go into the wetlands. And then next year it happens again, and next year it happens again. This goes on for 50 years. What we end up with is a massive amount of lead laying in these wetlands. And ducks and geese go down at the bottom and they go in there and they look for things like uh, uh, water acorns and water chestnuts and things like that and they eat it. And duckweed and they go down there and they nibble and they chew and they end up getting, because they also are an animal that fills a crop just like a chicken does with a gizzard, uh, they find little, little pieces of grit or whatever. Well, they'll eat that too and put that into their gizzard. And what they end up with is ingesting lead. So the environmentally conscious hunter, not the environmental wacko, the environmentally conscious hunter said, we got to do something about this. We don't want to ruin our wetlands. So we went to steel shot. What was the problem with steel shot? It's lighter than lead. What does that mean? It's faster than lead. What does that mean? It means that your lead changes. You do less leading uh, when you're shooting a steel shot. That's not as big a problem as a lot of people have made it out to be. Another minor problem is when you, when you shoot a bird and you clean it and you bring it home and it has a pellet or two left in the breast somewhere and you don't know about it, when you bite down on lead by accident in that squirrel, 
it gives a little bit. It doesn't really hurt. You bite down on a piece of steel shot, it hurts. Another minor problem. The big problem is since it's lighter, less energy. That's the big problem. So you've got a big bird like a duck or a goose. It takes a lot of power to kill. And you've got lighter shot going into them. So the tungsten, the bismuth, all of this stuff initially was created to come up with something as heavy or heavier than lead that was still environmentally safe. That's why that stuff exists. Now, in their quest to do it, the animal manufacturers actually have come up with shot that's heavier than lead. And now they're marketing that to the turkey hunter and the goose hunter as not just being a substitute for steel shot, but being better than lead anyway. Saying, hey, use our bismuth heavy shot even if you can use lead. It's more environmentally safe and it's got more killing power. So that's where those shot types, you know, the different compositions really come from and what they're all about. Let's talk about buckshot for a minute, reality versus myth. There's a belief that if I take, and I, I don't know why people have this, if I take buckshot and I put that in my home defense shotgun and somebody comes to my house and they're anywhere in the house and I point in their general direction, pull the trigger, bam, they're dead. I'll blow their arm off, you know. It'll cut a man in half of 50 yards, you know. All the things I've told you about every other type of shot is the same about buckshot. The only thing about buckshot is it's a bigger pellet, and there's less of them per each load. They're a very deadly um, piece of weaponry. They really are. Uh, number four and down in size, which actually would be up in size. So number four, uh, zero, double O, uh, even triple O. Very, very deadly. And it's why they're used in law enforcement. It's why they've been used by the military. You, you really don't have a lot of lethality against a human-sized uh, opponent with anything other than buckshot. I've said in the past that uh, six-shot, good heavy load of six-shot and a 12-gauge makes a reasonable home defense load. Uh, yeah, at home defense ranges, and which is about 10 feet. If you go look in your house, the longest shot you're going to take in your house is generally not much more than maybe 10 yards. Uh, hitting the thorax and the throat and the face with six shot at that distance is going to be highly incapacitating, if not lethal. One, I think, of the advantages of that is that you have a little bit of plausible, you know, to the... Well, some of you, that for Texas, load up with number four. Load up with number four buck. I think it's a much better home defense load than double O because there's a lot more pellets. But if you live in California, for instance, it's a little bit more plausible. Hey, I'm lucky I even had the gun around. Uh, maybe fours or something like that, but um, the buckshot's really the way to go for a home defense situation. It's also the way to go for hunting. But I'll tell you what, uh, for hunting deer-sized game, small deer and, and down, but it, it's not got the range that I think some people have in their head. Uh, 50 yards with buckshot is is highly ineffective. It might be lethal eventually. It might cause terrible wounds, but it's really kind of a 30-yard and under proposition with a tight enough choke. Uh, most home defense and combat shotguns, they go with what's called cylinder bore, and we'll get to what that means in a second. But if you have a really open choke, you get a greater pattern dispersal, and you get less density, and that means less pellets on the target. So there's limitations to buckshot. That's all I really wanted to bring up here. Uh, before we get into chokes and everything else, like let's wrap up the shell itself. The next one I want to talk about Matt, is a magnum. Are, is longer better? We often hear about magnum. We hear three inch magnum. Hell, we hear two and three quarter inch magnum. What are we really talking about? We're talking about more propellant. Remember that's grams of powder. Well, we're talking about more power in a shell. For instance, even in a two and three quarter inch uh, shot shell, not a three inch magnum for a twelve gauge. Um, a heavy load is called a magnum uh, by some manufacturers for marketing purposes. There's, 
not really any place where Magnum starts and, and Standard takes over. These are just things that have been marketed over the years because people like to hear things like heavy and Magnum. It makes them think of more powerful. So let's say a two and three quarter inch Magnum 12 gauge load would be three and a half grams equivalent of black powder, one and a quarter ounces a shot. Uh, not that much different from a, a standard load, three grams of powder and one and an eighth ounces of standard shot. Really, what it's about is as you up the ounces of shot, so you have more weight, you need more propellant to throw them out there. When you look at the difference in the velocity between a standard skeet load and a heavy load in two and three quarter inch from a 12 gauge, the velocity of each pellet is very, very close to each other. They're almost the same. They're, they're moving at the same speed. Maybe a little bit faster for the heavy load, but not much. We're talking 100 feet per second here. And there's variances for powder types and manufacturer types and the choke itself and some other things. But it's very close. What we're talking about is more pellets. More pellets. And if we combine that with a choke that's tighter, we get more density and we get a longer range. But this is like golf. When you go to hit golf, it's the shot and the club together. So if you have a shot to make and it's a certain distance... You know, you might use a six iron for that. I'm not a golfer, so I have no idea. But you also have to strike the shot with a certain given amount of force based on the, the club angle and the shot and how high the, the next, uh, you know, are you hitting downhill? Are you hitting uphill? These things all combine together. With a shotgun, the shot size, the power, the choke, all of these, and the gauge itself all kind of work together. But the gauge is less important than I think some people believe. We'll get into that in a second. I want to talk about the cost of heavy, though. The cost of heavy is measured in a couple ways. One, a little bit in how much ammo you're carrying. If you're carrying a lot of ammunition out in the dove field and you're carrying something with a, a he you're carrying heavy loads and going way overkill, you're carrying 50 rounds, those ounces start to add up. Not really that big a deal. The cost of heavy is really about impact on your body. When you put a greater charge and a greater shot weight into the air, you get a greater expended effort forward. And because of the laws of physics, you get an equal and opposite reaction back into the shooter's body. If you're firing five shots a day, if you're you know hunting uh, geese or something like that, where you're not doing a lot of shooting, it doesn't really matter. If you have good form, you can absorb the recoil, it's fine. If you're doing a lot of shooting, if you're out uh, you know shooting upland game, shooting quail, uh, where you're getting on a lot of birds, pheasants where you're getting on a lot of birds, if you're out in a dove field, uh, if you're out skeet shooting, where you're just you know shooting 25 rounds at a time, maybe two or three rounds a day, those heavier loads start to wear you out. Even if you're a big, tough guy, you don't realize the muscle fatigue that starts to occur and your performance declines. Even if you say, it doesn't hurt, I'm fine, I'm tough, I'm bubba, right? Well, your performance goes down. And that's why in many situations, when you do tra tactical training with people with shotguns, James Jager agrees with this uh, 100% with me, by the way. If you're good with a 12-gauge, you'll be flipping awesome with a 20-gauge. Especially as we continue the practice over time, and that body begins to wear out. You've got a lighter weapon, you've got less recoil, you've got less fatigue. So there is a cost to heavy, not just in heavy weapons, but in heavy charges. Uh, again... The right charge for the right job. You wouldn't, I know enough about golf to do this. You wouldn't tee off with a nine iron. You'd use a driver. Right? Well, you don't go hunt doves with number four shot, and you don't go hunt ducks with number nine shot. That just doesn't work out. You know, and you don't hunt deer 
with six shot. You hunt squirrels with six shot. Right tool for the right job. Moving on from there, let's talk about the gauges and what they really mean. And I did the shot shell thing first, even though it's a little bit dry, because everything's going to make more sense now if you didn't really know all the things I've already talked about. The common shot uh, gauges are the 10, the 12, the 16, the 20, and the 410. There's some other stuff out there, including the 28. The 10 I'm not going to talk about much today. It's really a specialty tool used mostly by waterfowlers and some turkey hunters. Upshot, bigger gauge, holds more pellets, can hold more powder, can be a lo longer distance weapon with more impact because of the greater number of pellets on the target. I want you to get this through your head. This is very important. The difference in the velocity of pellets between a 12-gauge and a 20-gauge is very, very minimal. Let's say that again. The difference in velocity in the pellets between a 12-gauge and a 20-gauge is very, very minimal. Let me pause for a second. I'll give you some real numbers on that. So I'm on Winchester's site. I'm looking at their 20-gauge uh, Supreme High Velocity Field Load, 20-gauge, um, 2 and 3 quarter inch uh, shell, 1 ounce of shot, and muzzle velocity of 1,300 feet per second. Standard muzzle velocity for a, a high-powered 12-gauge shell, 1,325 feet per second. So there you go. Not a whole lot of difference in speed. It's about how many pellets are impacting the target at how long of a distance and what the pattern's like and the total weight of the charge. It, it, it's hard and it's counterintuitive to think that if I got hit with an ounce of shot from a 20 gauge and an ounce of shot from a 12 gauge at a relative same distance, they're going to do relatively the same amount of damage. But they are. The difference is how much shot hits you. You know, that ounce and a quarter out of the 12 gauge has an additional quarter ounce of shot. It's an additional 25% of payload. That's where the added power really comes from, more shot. Now, you can do funky things. You can go put a three and a half inch magnum in that 12 gauge. And you can, you can, you know, with that, you can beef up some things. But when it comes right down to it, standard field loads, it's all about the amount of shot. I want you to get that because if you don't, you're going to think you need a 12-gauge when you don't. And you might make a decision that could be better for you. Let me explain what I mean. 12-gauge uh, is considered the best all-around gun out there. Uh, it's available everywhere. Uh, the shells are available everywhere. It's proven in the field. It's proven in the trenches of war. It's just a proven gun. And if you said, Jack, I want to buy one shotgun, what should I buy? And you don't tell me anything else. So you don't get that. All you can do is just make a recommendation. I'm probably going to hedge my bet and say a 12 is probably the way to go. As long as you'll tell me it's for you and not for someone that weighs 115 pounds. Because then I'm definitely going to try to steer you toward a 20 gauge. So the 12 gauge is that all-around gauge. And it does have some real advantages. That extra eighth of an ounce or extra quarter ounce of shot that can be added to that payload is a big advantage for even just the upland game hunter. The duck hunter, the pheasant hunter, the squirrel hunter, and things like that. More payload. But it'll ne the additional payload will never compensate for poor quality shooting. I had a very good friend that I grew up with. He was actually my dad's best friend when they were kids named John Slifko. And this guy would take out a double barrel 410 shotgun into the pheasant field with seven and a half, three inch shell, uh, very anemic as far as people were concerned, but this guy almost never missed a pheasant, and when he put a pheasant down, it was dead. Why? Why was that charge out of that 410 so lethal on that pheasant in John Slifko's hands when you see people cripple a pheasant with seven and a half with 12 gauge all the time? 
the pellets are going the same relative speed, impacting with the same velocity. He was a better shot. If you put a sufficient number of pellets from that 410 into the body and neck of that bird, it died. The person that hit it with the 12 gauge wasn't throwing more power, they were throwing more shot. If they happened to graze it with the edge of the pattern, they had a cripple, John had stung dead. Not everybody can shoot that well. right? If we took the 410 and put it in the hand of the guy that was grazing with the 12 gauge, he's done. Unless he shoots better because he's recoil shot, which sometimes is the issue. But a 410 is not a fencing gun in all but the hands of the expert. But the 12 gauge, to me it's a little bit overrated. One of the sweetest things out there to me is the 16 gauge, and here's why. The 16 gauge can generally be built on the frame for a 20 gauge shotgun, so I get less weight. But I get more power than the 20. Let's look at, and the 20 has its place too. Let me kind of give you an eye-opening reality here. A standard load for a 16 gauge, two and three quarter drams of powder equivalent, and one ounce a shot. Okay, that's a standard. A heavy for the 16, three drams equivalent shot, one and an eighth ounce of powder. So that's a heavy 16 gauge load. But I've got a lighter weapon, I've got smaller cartridges, I can carry more cartridges, not weight wise, but capacity size wise, and I've got a much lighter framed weapon. What, okay, now that's a heavy 16. What's a standard 12 gauge? Three drams of powder, one and an eighth ounces of shot. That means, that a 16-gauge heavy and a 12-gauge standard in 2 and 3 quarter inch shells using the same shot size are virtually identical in performance. Same charge, same weight of shot. All right? let, me, let me bridge this for you here. 20-gauge heavy load, 2.5 drams equivalent of powder, 1 ounce of shot. 12-gauge okay? light skeet load, right? 2.5 drams, 1 ounce of shot. A 20-gauge heavy is roughly equivalent to a 12-gauge light. Now, the 12-gauge obviously has more flexibility. It can go forward. All I'm saying is there's overlap points between the gauges. So if I was out shooting a 20-gauge heavy load with number 8 shot on sporting clays, and you were out shooting a 12-gauge light uh, skeet load on sporting clays with number 8s, neither gun gives either shooter any real advantage. And it won't in the field either shooting quail or doves or similar size game. They're roughly equivalent at that point because it's a powder and weight of shot. Does this make sense? And this may be the first time you've ever thought about it this way. Going down into a 410, we kind of go away from that because we get into a point with two and three quarter inch 410 shells, we can go with an ounce and a half of, or a dram and a half of powder, one and a half drams of powder, and up to three quarter ounces of shot. 410, we can expand that by going to a 3-inch load in a 410, and almost every 410 shotgun I've ever seen takes 3-inch shells. Well, there's some uh, shells out there that'll carry 11 sixteenths of an ounce of shot. So you start to get the 410, eh, not really, but up closer to 20-gauge performance, because you don't have the drams capacity of powder there that you do with the 20. But it gets closer than most people would think. And all I'm trying to say is that there's a lot more flexibility to the shotgun than most people realize. And I see it all the time when I see people at like Academy Sporting, at Sports and Outdoors, buying shotgun shells before dove season, looking at the shells and reading all the fancy words like heavy and heavy dove and things like that. And, you know, it's just a word that somebody puts on, on the box. 
if you don't understand the underlying performance, and there are standards, and most shells are loaded in standard loads. They're either a standard load 20 or a heavy load 20. They're either a light 12, a standard load 12, or a heavy 12. And, they're, and, and then all we're down to just shot size, and what kind of choke do you have on your gun? So, so please maybe educate yourself a little bit about this and start to understand it. I'll, I'll put up a pretty cool uh, chart for you guys to look at today that shows the different standard loads in two and three quarter inch shells, and I'll see if I can find one that, that talks more about the three inch shells. So I'm not saying that a 20 gauge is as powerful as a 12. I'm saying that there are loads of 20 that are absolutely equivalent to certain loads of 12, and there's overlap in between with the 16. I want to talk real quick before I move on to actions about the 410, and one of the beautiful things I see for the 410. You take a 410, and you get a loader, because it's expensive ammunition if you don't load yourself. Lee Loadall is a great tool for reloading shotgun shells. You get a 410, and a bunch of 8-shot, and a bunch of powder, and a bunch of wads, and some primers. You load 410, 8-shot, 3-inch, uh, 11-16, biggest load you can in a 410, it's still a pop gun. And you can then get kind of a low-powered skeet thrower and shoot, shoot skeet or you know, light sporting clays with that 410. And you can practice in areas that if you started cutting loose with a 20 or a 12, people would complain. Uh, you can also do a lot of practicing for a little bit of money, and you become very, very deadly with a shotgun. As a kid, I used to practice all the time with a 410. And when I would pick up a 20 or a 12, the, the targets would be absolute dust. Because you do have to be more on, on the ball with it. Uh, one little tip for shooting clays or anything with shotgun rifle I'll give you here is shoot with a partner. Have them stand behind you and load the weapon. Or not load the weapon and you don't really know and then engage the target. If you're picking your head up off of the weapon, if you're starting to drop the comb of the stock, if you're making any mistakes, the first time you pull the trigger and the gun doesn't go off, if you're closing your eyes, if you're flinching, whatever you're doing, you'll immediately know. Now let's go on to actions. I want to kind of blow through this one quick because I've talked about it before, uh, but it would be an incomplete show without it. One of my favorite things is a single-shot shotgun. I love the NEF Partners. Um, I think they're one of the, the nicest-looking, cheap, single-shot shotguns out there. Uh, they're beautiful in the fact that I can go out and buy an NEF Partner for about $84, brand new in 12 or 20 gauge or whatever, and I can send it back to NEF, uh, which is now Marlin, and I can get... Um, uh, if I had a 12-gauge, for instance, I can get a 20-gauge, a 16-gauge, a 410-gauge, and a 28-gauge barrel for that thing, and I'm still out about, like, $200 total, maybe 250 And then I have one gun with all of these different gauges that I can fool around and play around with, and I can swap those barrels out uh, in about a minute, uh, less than a minute, maybe 30 seconds it takes to actually swap out a barrel on one of those. Really cool, really advantageous. The beauty of the single shot is, for training shooters, it makes them more conscious about their shooting because they don't have that quick follow-up shot that a pump or a double or a semi offers them. Uh, they're lightweight, so the problem with the lightweight thing is you put heavy loads in a lightweight shotgun, you get a lot more felt recoil. So a lot of times I'll see guys out teaching that new kid to shoot with a 20-gauge single shot, and they're throwing you know 20-gauge heavy loads in there, and it's really beating the kid up pretty hard. They would be better off scaling the kid back down to a 410, even though it's not the best thing for him to be hunting with because it, it lowers his chances of success, but he's not going to be afraid of it. He'll learn proper form. Or moving him into something more like a 20-gauge youth's uh, M, uh, 870 Remington that's got a little bit more weight behind it. Um, and if you want to you know, teach him to shoot a single shot, let him put one. Keep the bullets. Keep the shells. 
right? Keep the shells. Don't give them to the kid. Here's one. I'll give you another one after you shoot it. It's that simple to turn a pump into, uh, uh, let's say, a, a single shot. So I, I think that, the, that that has been overdone. I actually learned to shoot with a 20-gauge single shot when I was about nine years old, and it did beat the hell out of me. I didn't care, though. I wanted to do it so bad. But I bet you I would have done better with less recoil because I know every shooter does better with less recoil. Um, the double uh, is a beautiful weapon, and it's a precision weapon, and it is a sporting weapon. It can certainly be used for home defense, but I see it mostly as an upland game bird weapon, whether over and under or side by side. They're special, they're sweet, they balance beautifully. Even the lower cost ones that are available now that you can get for like $400 uh, are beautiful weapons. Moving into like the, 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 the epitome to me of the shotgun, is a really nice, like say a Ruger White Wing, uh, without going into extravagance, you know, a $1,500 gun in 20 gauge. Light, crisp, fits the shooter beautifully. You shoot something like that, and you don't ever really want to pick up that 870 pump gun, to even, even though you love it ever again, because it's like having something custom made for you is what it feels like, because the weapon is so well balanced and points so beautifully. These are weapons for being out and taking game. That's really what the over and unders and the, uh, the side-by-sides are for. And uh, I think everybody, if you financially can, eventually should own one, and you should go out and shoot sporting clays and skeet and birds with it. Because it is one of the most, to me anyway, some people have that passion of golf. To me, that shotgun is my passion. Uh, and it is something that is indescribable until you experience it. And no matter how good you do today, you're always going to challenge yourself to do better tomorrow. And I guess that's why, in some ways, it is like golf. We'll talk about that at the end. The pump, utility. The pump's all about utility. Reliability, high capacity. Even a standard sporting uh, 12-gauge shotgun, pull the plug out. Don't do that if you're hunting. In a lot of states, I think most, if not all states, pumps are to be limited to three-shell capacity. But if you're using it for defensive purposes or survival purposes, pull that plug out. You've got five-shell capacity in the pump versus two or one in the brake actions. So that's great. Unlike the semi-auto, jam is not an issue. Uh, if you have a failure to eject with a pump, it's always easy to reach in there and clear it. Um, and it doesn't happen very often. It's probably the most reliable weapon there is. Very high rate of fire. I can shoot a pump almost, I would never say as, but almost as fast is a semi-auto. I can definitely shoot a pump accurately almost as fast as a semi-auto. Of course, I'm not Tom Knapp from Federal Cartridges that can shoot, what is it, 10 skeet out of the air in one, one round. So for the, the expert, I guess, there's an advantage there to the semi-auto in speed. For me in the field, I've never really felt that I was undergunned with a pump or that I would have made that follow-up shot uh, or I would have gotten that double if I had just had a semi-auto. I've never felt that way, not even once. The semi, you do have a higher rate of fire. You have the convenience. Uh, you do have, to me, a more potential for jam. But in a survival or combat situation, the beauty of that semi is I've got the same capacity, and I can have massive capacity if I go with an extended magazine, uh, as I do with the pump. But if I had to, because I was wounded or I'm in a situation where I can't use one of my arms, I can fire it multiple times one-handed. That's also an advantage for the double barrel, but then you're only limited to two cartridges. So I see for, for combat rolls, the semi-auto 12-gauge is probably the best thing out there, and a semi-auto 20 wouldn't do you wrong either. And I know a lot of people have that. Well, you've got greater killing powder with the, with the, the, uh, the, tw- the 12, 
and you do, but with slugs, your range is damn close to the same, and, you know, shotguns will never be a sniping tool. Now, they have the new slugs that can reach out and take a deer at 150 yards, and to me, you might as well be out there hunting with a 4570. I don't even get how they're allowed in shotgun zones, because shotgun zones for hunting are all about safety, and when we start taking those Sabo slugs, and we're able to uh, to reach further out, that safety factor gets diminished, but... Really, to me, again, if we're going to get into that, and we'll talk a little bit about self-defense and combat rolls of shotguns here at the end, uh, but that's really where the semi-auto shines. Then there's something called the bolt-action shotgun. There's not a lot of people, I don't know if anybody actually makes them anymore, but there's a lot of used ones out there. I have a Mossberg uh, clip-fed, or magazine-fed, for those who will get upset, uh, box magazine-fed 16-gauge shotgun. It is one of the coolest shotguns I own. It's got a uh, adjustable choke that, you know, it's not like a choke tube that screws out. You just basically turn it uh, on the outside. Seems to work in pattern pretty effectively. It um, is very lightweight. It's very easy to shoot. And I remember I bought it from a guy, and it was it just looked like somebody, you know, dumped on it or something. It was 50 guys was holding it to me for $50. And uh, I took it home. I polished the bolt. I cleaned it up. I took the rust off, and I hit it with a little perma-blue uh, which is a, uh, a product from Birchwood uh, uh, Kelly, I guess, that uh, uh, that helps, you know, it doesn't re-blue a weapon, but it helps cover some of the spots where the blue's been removed. Uh, I stripped the stock down. It was a beautiful piece of walnut once I stripped it down. I finished it with hand-rubbed uh, true oil uh, uh, stain, and the stock was cut on one side, kind of boogered up, and so I cut it clean and kind of uh, shaped that side, and then I shaped the other side of the forend so that it looked the same. And maybe I'll post a picture of that uh, that gun today and, and what it looks like. And I brought it back and showed it to the guy, and he's like, oh, it's still only a bolt-action shotgun. I don't even know why they do that. I said, for follow-up shots. And uh, we went out and shot some ski together. And he's like, I don't believe you can shoot doubles with a bolt-action. And uh, after I did it several times, he was kind of shocked. A bolt-action is actually a relatively fast-shooting weapon if you become uh, proficient with it. Is it as fast as a pump? No. But... That follow-up action is there, and it's definitely faster than following up with uh, shells held between your fingers like cigars with a break-action weapon. Um, I know some people say that's not the case, but the same shooter with the same weapon, properly trained with each, um, you're going to end up with an advantage of speed to the bolt action, definitely. All right, so that kind of wraps up the actions. Let's talk a little bit about chokes. Choke, I'm going to go over quick because it could get boring if I don't. Uh, it's simply how constricted the barrel is at the end. And you, I'll put up a chart. You can go look at the constriction sizes, but it comes down to this way. The tighter the constriction, the tighter the pattern. The more density in the pattern, the longer the range. The more open the pattern, the wider, uh, the more open the choke, the more wide the pattern, the, uh, the more uh, spread of pattern, so the greater likelihood of a hit at short to medium ranges. And then there's some additional things we have to think about. If we go out with a full choke to the dove field and start shooting passing shots on doves, even with 8 or 9 shot, and we're shooting birds in the 15-yard range, when we hit one, we're going to turn it into hamburger meat. The pattern is too dense, right? Again, you would not tee off with a 9-iron. You don't shoot doves on passing shots with a full choke. The other side of this, though, is if we go out and we're shooting uh, ducks and we're getting shots that are passing shots at about 30 yards and we're sitting there with an improved cylinder, uh, we're not going to have a lot of density. And if we have a lot of wind going on and we're taking those stretching those shots at 35 yards, we're not going to have a great deal of killing power 
with that improved cylinder, relatively open choke. Now we're going to want to go to something like improved, modified, or even full. Bigger bird, tougher target, longer distances. That's what choke is really all about. So why do we do things like have cylinder bore, which is basically no choke, right, um, in a tactical shotgun? One, because it sells well. Right. Two, because we want some dispersal of pattern out there at, at greater ranges. To me, though, you would actually be better with a tighter choke. This myth, and this is another combat home defense myth, if I have that 12-gauge loaded up with a buckshot and somebody comes in my door and I point it anywhere near the door, I'm going to get them with at least one of them, is, is myth. At the, 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 the ranges inside the home, you've got to shoot a shotgun like it's a rifle. You're looking at a pattern that's going to come out and maybe be as big as your fist, maybe two of your fists. So if you're six inches off to the left, you might not get the guy with anything. So you want to shoot center back, just like it's a carbine, just like it's a rifle or a handgun. So you might as well, to me, go with a little bit tighter of a constriction of a choke, with, even with buckshot, because you're going to keep the pattern density longer so that if you're in a situation where I have a target I want to engage, near a target I don't want to injure... I have a greater capability of that, and I have more lethality with the impact. That's all I'm going to say on chokes as it relates to uh, home defense. I also want to talk about barrel length and myth versus reality. I see people with, you know, they call it a goose shotgun, you know, and it's got like a 32-inch barrel. And so it'll have more velocity and more power. No, not at all. 22-inch shotgun barrel, 32-inch shotgun barrel. Same shell, same choke. Velocity and performance Almost identical. Tiny bit maybe to the 32 inch, but not enough to have any real gains in the field. It's like comparing a 308 to a 3006 when they're both firing 150 grain bullets. Change the temperature and, and everything changes. They're so close, it doesn't matter. So why, with long distance shooting with a shotgun, do we go with that long barrel? Sighting radius. The longer the barrel, the more likely the shooter is to be accurate because it's more obvious to the shooter when they're beginning to pick their head up and shoot over or put their head down too far and go under the target. When you look across the top of a shotgun barrel, it should look dead flat and level onto the target. If there's a bead, basically all you should see is the bead. You should never see the rib or the surface of the barrel. The longer the barrel, the less likely that is to occur, and the more, uh, the more eye relief you have from the end of the barrel. It just simply makes the shooter tend to be more accurate. That's it. So the shorter barrel, when you can master it, has so many advantages. Because when you're hunting grouse, uh, and you're climbing through thickets, or you're hunting woodcock, and you're, you're climbing through thickets, and you're climbing through the bushes and the trees, or after squirrels or anything like that, or rabbits, and you're climbing through briar patches and in and out of wood, wood lots in between fields. In all these situations, that shorter barrel is hugely advantageous. So I think that when you go out and you buy a shotgun, you'll find that most shotguns today for field hunting are fitted with a 28-inch barrel. I'm going to tell you right away to look for a 26 or shorter barrel. Uh, to me, ideal kind of that sweet spot where you still get enough of a sighting radius and you get the ultimate in short uh, performance is about 24. You're not, again, you're not going to lose between a 24-inch barrel and 28. Performance of the, of the load, you lose nothing. Nothing at all. You've got to really shorten a shotgun barrel uh, to start losing performance of the shell where it's something different than the shot, the load, and the choke. You really do. 
So I'm going to say go with as short of a barrel as you can shoot well, uh, especially if you're going to be out hunting in the real world. If you're going to just be standing shooting standing clays, it, I guess it doesn't really matter. And if you shoot those really long shots at clays, uh, you know, long skeet shots, fine. But to me, if you're going to get out and hunt with a weapon, shorter barrel. Shorter barrel in a tactical situation also has an advantage. Stock length, though, is something that I think is hugely misunderstood. I even had a big argument with James Jaeger about this. He was you know, talking about stock length, and shorter is better. Shorter will make you shoot more accurately. Short- no, it won't. It is better in a tactical situation. With a tactical situation with a shotgun, I am trying to hit a man. I am trying to hit him anywhere between his waistline, and I'll take a leg if I have to, and the top of his head. That's a fairly big target. The fastest man in the world is so slow compared to a, a, a white-winged dove, it's unbelievable. Men don't move that fast. I'm sorry. It just doesn't happen. You've got a big target. You've got a slow-moving target. And if you're using a shotgun, you've got a relatively short range. What that means is that accuracy is important, but it's nowhere as difficult as hitting a bird. Hold your hand out in front of your face right now, folks. Make a fist. Hitting a bird with a kill zone the size of your fist, moving at 65 miles an hour, 35 yards away. Marksmanship is much more critical in that situation. The short stock, if you have time to take aim at a large target, is not a detriment to your accuracy. You can shoot well. And because it's shorter, the weapon's lighter, there's less fatigue, it's easier to shoulder, it's easier to come around the door with, it's got so many advantages, that's why they go on tactical shotguns. But you never see a guy hunting quail or pheasants with a tactical shotgun. Not just because he would look foolish with a black shotgun with an 18-inch barrel and a cylinder bore, but because of that short stock. The problem is, the, sh- the fit of the shotgun is so important to marksmanship in the field, it's unbelievable. If you doubt this, go get a youth 870 shotgun with that short pull, short length of pull, if you're a full-grown man, and go out and try to shoot clays with it. Swap the stock out to a, a standard length of pull for an adult, and you'll immediately start shooting better. What happens is if you think of how you shoulder a weapon, and if you pull your hand further back to compensate, it ruins the form, and your head doesn't come down the same way, and it's harder to not bring your head down but bring the weapon up to your head. What immediately starts to happen is is people are trying to train on a bird or train on a clay with that shorter stock is they begin to raise the front of the weapon to compensate, And they overshoot the target, and it happens every time over and over and over again. In fact, if you're a really big man, or even a really tall lady with long arms, you may need to add length to the length of pull of your shotgun. Especially if you're consistently missing and shooting over your target. If you have a coach that says, you're over, you're over, you're over, he's not lying to you. right? You really are over. And that's a big part of it is simply the fit. Because the shotgun's an instinctual tool. It's not a precision tool. And if it doesn't fit right, the instinct doesn't happen right. And you have the weapon in the wrong position, and since it's in the wrong position, you do everything else right. Think about it this way. Hold a pencil in front of your face. So hold it with your right hand sticking straight across in front of you on a horizontal plane. Now, imagine that that is pointing directly at a target 20 yards away. Raise the tip of the pencil that's pointing toward the target a millimeter. What happens? You miss. Because that millimeter magnifies over distance. 
When you have a shotgun fit improperly, that's what happens. A couple millimeters of higher point of aim to the front, and even if you swing right, even if you lead right, even if you do everything else right, you miss. That's why fit's so important. That's why when people have custom-made guns that they spend $10,000 on, the, the, the gunsmith measures them. And they build the stock and the shape and the comb and everything precision. That's why competition shooters have precision fit shotguns. Absolutely precision fit to them. Because it's that important. We don't need to go that far. All I'm telling you is those shorter stocks will kill you when you're trying to shoot well in the field. The shorter barrel won't. Um, we have an 870 youth model I bought for my son that I'm about to put a full length stock on. Because uh, the youth stock got broke by Valerie Azadoff during the shooting of our video because he got a little bit too excited um, when demonstrating butt strokes on a heavy back and broke the stock. Um, we were thinking about putting that out as a blooper from that, that video series. Um, but that short stock just doesn't work for a full-size man. But that youth model barrel coupled with a full-length stock, that's a great upland game uh, uh, rifle or shotgun. It really is. All right. Um, I also want to talk real quick about sporting clays. I'm going to leave it simple because I'm long already today. Get out and do it. It's like golf with a bang. You'll love it. It will make you a better shooter. I'll warn you, you could become addicted to it. But unlike golf where it's often hard for one partner that's into it to get the other partner into it, if you take your wife with a nice light loaded 20-gauge sporting clay shooting and you get her a coach other than you because she will not listen to you because a prophet has no honor in his own country, and you get her within one or two trips to consistently hit half the targets, you'll have a partner that will go sporting clay shooting with you anytime you want, even if she's never been in guns, into guns before. It's that much fun. It's that interesting. It, it's, it, it is a, a totally different world, and clay is unlike skeet, uh, is where you're going from station to station, kind of like golf. And you go to one station, and it's a low shot, like a rabbit. And you go to the next station, and it's two crossing shots, like uh, pheasants getting up out of a field. You go to the next station, and it's two targets coming dead in on you, like passing dub shots. Uh, and they're just one of the coolest things in the world, and they will make you a better shot. Check out Sporting Clays. Find one near you. Go shoot once a month. And take some, take some lessons, even if you think you're a great shot. A good coach is worth his weight in silver, folks. I'll tell you that right now. Um, last, my thoughts on home defense applications. I want to be clear about something with shotguns to me, or any weapon to me. Home defense and combat are two different worlds. Combat is the world of the law enforcement officer. If we got into a real shit hit the fan, and you, it might be just your role as, as try to get somewhere or go somewhere uh, when there's a lot of threats and danger around. But it's it's a totally different role, and it's generally a role that involves not one person but multiple people working together in a team on a force on force engagement level. That is combat. That's what our boys are doing in Iraq and Afghanistan right now. Be thankful for that, by the way. We just celebrated Memorial Day for those of them that go out and don't come back. That's combat. Home defense is nothing like combat. There's similarities, but it's not the same. In a home defense situation, an intruder is entering a structure that he doesn't know well. You are in the structure, able to defend yourself that you know perfectly because you live there. You have an inherent advantage. I don't see much use for having the tactical shotgun strictly for a home defense situation. Think about everything we learned today. Shot size, choke, barrel length, uh, drams of powder, equivalent performance. If you have a 12-gauge 870 
24-inch barrel that you use for hunting with an improved cylinder choke, and you keep it loaded up with uh, number four buckshot under your bed or in a place in your home, you can grab it if you need it, if there's an intruder, and you take a slicked-up Mossberg 500 blacking chrome uh, shotgun loaded with the same thing, home defense ranges, difference in performance, negligible to non-existent. Shoot the bad guy, he dies. Miss the bad guy, he shoots you. Doesn't matter what you're carrying. And I, I've taken some heat in the past for kind of maybe not seeming like I support the tactical shotgun enough. It's not that I don't support it. It's I don't support the need for it that's assumed by some that just want an excuse to spend the money. You want one, get one, great. I'll tell you, I got one. I like it. It's really cool. It's fun. It's fun to go out and shoot. Uh, it's fun to go out and uh, train with. Uh, it's neat. And I've got that Mossberg 500. Uh, in fact, I ended up buying one after I recommended one to a friend and shot his a few times. I thought, i got to have one of these things. But it, would it really matter if I grabbed my 870, you know, my, my gun that I take out in the dove field and I shoot grouse with and I shoot pheasants with? No. They're loaded with the same shell, same distance, same performance. Combat situation is different. You're in a specialized role now. You're in a situation where maybe you want to have a ghost ring iron sight set up on there. So if you have to switch to slugs at longer distance to take out a threat hiding behind a car door at 50 yards. You will not be taking out a car, a guy hiding behind a car door at 50 yards in your house at 2 a.m. It just doesn't happen. So that's where that bifurcation is there. And that's, that's what I'm talking about when I separate those two roles. Uh, last, I just want to kind of sum up the beauty of the shotgun. To me, here's the beauty of the shotgun. It is the most versatile arm in the world as far as I'm concerned. All the things that I've talked about to you today, hopefully they weren't too boring. I, I thought a lot about this, you know, do I do a show like this? But I thought if I can open up a few minds with this and get people actually thinking about it, doing their own research, experimenting with different loads, they'll start to realize the real versatility that's there. It's beyond, I can use light shot for birds and slugs for deer in self-defense and buckshot for mid-range self-defense and mid-size game. It's much beyond that. Moderate, moderate adjustments in shot size and choke constriction and gauge and barrel length have massive changes in the way things appear in the field. And if you start to realize the performance overlaps, you realize that I can go out and get that 16 gauge. And if I'm a quail hunter, a dove hunter, uh, a squirrel hunter, small game hunter in general, I carry that 16 gauge and I give up almost nothing to the guy carrying the 12 gauge other than the weapon that I'm carrying maybe weighs a pound to a pound and a half less. And if I don't get that, then I don't allow myself the privilege of humping around the uh, field for you know 12 miles a day with a pound and a half less. And it means a lot. You know, at, at 7.30 in the evening when you're putting the dogs away and finally having that first ice cold beer and your arms feel a little bit different and you make a few more shots because your arms are less fatigued. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, a side-by-side -side or over and under 16 gauge is one of the sweetest little weapons you'll ever put your hands on for those applications. Is it an ideal home defense weapon? Absolutely not. And that is the beauty of the shotgun that it will adapt for you to different situations. And owning one or two shotguns will allow you to adapt to all of the situations. Whereas with a rifle, you know, we can talk about loading down a 3006 and using it for plinking and target shooting and all, but it's never going to be a small game rifle. And we can talk all we want about, you know, souping up the 243, but it's never really going to be a good elk rifle. It just isn't. 
no matter what we do. I can't, I'm not saying you can't kill an elk, but of course you can. But it's not really an elk rifle. And it's still overkill for squirrels and stuff like that. And the 22 is a 100-yard weapon at best for real use for mortality in the field, and it's a small game weapon. You know, we can stretch a little bit with the 20. The rifle is inherently limited by its caliber and by its charge and its size. The shotgun is immensely adaptable to the situation. I can have the same gun knocking doves out of the air today, squirrels out of a tree tomorrow, and deer off the, uh, off the ground the next day, bust bunnies with it the following day, and use it to defend my home on the last day. And there's really not a lot of other things out there that will ever do that for you. So check out the shotgun. Consider adding one or two of them to your arsenal. And make sure you're really getting the most out of that shotgun. Don't just see it as a tool to be used if the shit hits the fan. It's a great tool for fun. It's a great tool for sporting use. And it's a great tool to put a lot of meat into the freezer every fall. Uh, the guy that goes out and takes squirrels and, and, and doves and quail and stuff like that can put a lot of meals into the deep freezer or into the smokehouse uh, between September and uh, January in some states even longer. So uh, with that, this has been Jack Spirito with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life and talk to you tough, or even if they don't. Dollar down, a dollar month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up there cares, they're losing.